This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. So I want to open today's teaching with that. Let me ask you that question. I want you to think about it for a second. What do you want? In life, what do you want? It's a complicated question. As a matter of fact, the older that we get, the more complicated and convoluted it is. When we're younger, it tends to be things. There are things that we want, stuff. But the older that we get, the more intangible the answer to what we want in life becomes. But it's a very important question. Because the question what you want is going to drive your behavior and your decisions. What do you really want? I want to give you some answers to the question that you didn't even think of, but they are answers that you would give. They're answers for all of us, really. If we're asked the question, what do we want? The first thing that we all really want is we want it now. (laughs) I don't want to wait. As a matter of fact, we live in such an instant society. You want a hamburger? McDonald's is right over there. You can go get one right now. You don't have to wait. They think about anything that you want. A new pair of jeans, new jacket, new pair of shoes. You can go on Amazon, buy it. It will be delivered to your house tomorrow. All right? When I was a kid, you got catalogs, and you sent checks, and then you waited. And you waited, and you had no idea when it would show up. And then one day that box would come, and you'd be so excited. But now it's so instant. And what we want, we want it now. Number two, number two, we want it our way. We want it our way. The things that we want in life, we want it to happen our way. That's Some of you, this is your biggest problem. This is your biggest source of tension in your life because there are things that are literally way out of your control that you deal with a lot of tension, frustration, anxiety, and worry over them because you want it to happen your way. Some of you complain so much about the weather that it's impossible for you to even stop and look and be thankful for what you have. Hadn't rained enough. It's been two weeks since it's rained at all. Needs to rain. Then it rains and you're like, God, you haven't rained too much. Washed all the rain away. Didn't even soak into the ground. Didn't rain enough. Only rained for about 10 minutes. That's all we got at our house. Can't even control it. What do you, do you not see that it's you just want things your way? Some of you It's affected your relationships, it's affected your finances, and it's affected the way that you think about yourself because you want things to happen your way. Number three, we want it to be easy. We want it to be easy. Whatever that thing is that you thought, truth is, most of us don't want it to be hard. We want a good marriage. 
but we don't want to do the work that it takes to have a good marriage. We want to have healthy finances, but we don't want to do the work that it takes to be healthy in our finances. We want things, but we want it to be easy. But here's the thing about it. If we always get what we want, number one, we'll end up somewhere we don't want to be. We'll end up somewhere we don't want to be. C.S. Lewis, in a book called The Great Divorce, which is a book on hell, which really is not a very appealing book. Let's just be honest. How many of you want to go read a book on hell called The Great Divorce? He talks about what his version of hell would be. It's very interesting. I want you to think about this. He says to him, hell would be an environment where everybody gets everything they want the moment they want it. That's hell. Get everything we want the moment we want it without having to wait at all the instant we want it. He said, because here's what's going to happen. If that happened, all of a sudden, your need for each other would begin to break down. Relationships would start to break down. Your desire for God and then your desire for anything would start to break down. And eventually, what would happen is you would have nothing but completely isolated people. And that is what hell is. Complete isolation. If we always get what we want, we'll end up somewhere we want, don't want to be. Number two, we want it our way. But here's the thing. Our way will get in the way. If you're the person in here that always has to have things your way, your way is probably getting in the way. Because in John 14, 6, Jesus said something about the way. He said, I am the way. And if you always have to have things go your way, it's getting in the way of the way and keeping you from a passionate, convicted, intimate relationship with Jesus. And lastly, we want it to be easy. Oh, we do. I want to be healthy, but I really just want to take a pill. If I could just find a pill or a shake or some kind of fairy dust that you could just sprinkle over me. If we could just find that, that would be awesome. But it's not. It's a lot of work to be healthy. See, the things that are easy can easily get you off track. The things that are easy can easily get you off track. As a matter of fact, I'd say this in life, that most things that are really good for you are not really easy. Most of the things that are really good for you aren't really easy. They're not easy. And the things that are easy can easily get you off track we see that in this film. As a matter of fact, Helen is presented with this job. But she's going to have to leave what she ultimately wants, which is her family, and the intimacy for what she wants immediately in the rescue and redemption of superheroes so that they could live life out in public the way that they have. So it really begs the question, what do you 
really want? What do you really want? At the heart of it all, when your story is over with, what do you really want? What do you really want? And do your actions, do do they line up with what you really want? Because so many of us would say things like, my family is important. I really want a good family, but I spend so much overtime trying to buy them things to make them happy so that they can keep up with the other kids at school to have the nice things. But all, all the while, I'm not spending time with them, and I don't have what I ultimately want. See, the problem is, is that what we naturally want and what we ultimately want are often at odds with each other. How many of y'all over the past few weeks have had some friends go on some vacations and they posted some really awesome Instagram pictures? Happened to anybody? Right? That happens all the time to me. My friends are all over the world. I have this friend, Barry, who's like literally traveling traveling all over the world. He was at the Taj Mahal yesterday, right? Posted a picture of the Taj Mahal. Isn't this beautiful, right? Here's a picture of the Indian Ocean. Isn't this beautiful? See, the thing is, is that nature looks beautiful until you get close up. Then nature's brutal. Because in nature, the little guy always gets eaten. I don't know if you know that. In, in nature, the slowest one is always the one that gets caught. In nature, there are seasons of drought that kill thousands. Nature's harsh and brutal and difficult. There is no grace in nature. There's no forgiveness in nature. And you have nature just like I have nature inside of me. Think about human nature. It's pretty natural to get angry when things don't go your way. It's pretty natural. It's, it's pretty normal. It, it, it's pretty jealous, or pretty natural to become jealous when, when, when someone has something or is getting something that you want. That's, that's pretty natural to do that. It, it, it's pretty natural to leverage judgment when things don't seem to be going the way that you think they should. But what is natural often stands in opposition to what God wants for you. And we see this in two very important passages. One with the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you know who the Apostle Paul was. He was kind of a church planner. Started very influential churches all the way around the Mediterranean rim. Uh, He wrote by volume uh, about half of the New Testament. Um, a very influential leader in the first century church. 
And during the first century, Christians were being persecuted. And by persecuted, I don't mean talked about. Like some of you think persecution is when the person at work talks about you and says something negative about the fact that you actually go to church. When we talk about persecution in the first century, Christians were being crucified and burned alive. They were being huddled together in masses in coliseums with wild animals unleashed on them. And the center of it all was the Roman Empire. But in the center of it all, there was a small house church in the city of Rome. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them to encourage them and to clarify this salvation that they had that was so precious to them as they lived in an area where death was so prevalent. We're just simply choosing to follow Jesus often meant that you put a mark of execution on your own self. And in that letter, he took one of the most vulnerable positions in all of Scripture that any writer takes in Romans 7. Now we've talked about the question, what do you want? I want you to look at wants throughout this passage. But first, look at how he opens this out. I do not understand what I do. Look at that. Take that down for a second. How many of y'all have ever been there? I don't understand what I do. I have no idea why I did that. I don't even know. If you have kids, how many of you have kids and you've ever caught your kids doing something and you go, why are you doing that? I don't know. I don't know. I walked in on my son eating crayons. Why are you eating crayons? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It just look good. But I try it. It's crayons. It's not good. You're supposed to draw with those things, not eat them. I don't understand what I do. But look how he continues. Look at the word want throughout this. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I do, I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now just stop there. What he's saying is that when I I find myself doing these things that I do not want to do and I hate it, what's happening is that inside of me is God's law and it's proving to me that this law that God has given us is good because it's showing me that this thing that I'm not supposed to do is not good for me. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I don't even want to do it, but I find myself doing it. And when I do it, I hate it. And it's showing me that the law of God is good because it's proving to me that this is something I'm not supposed to do. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, It's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. In Christianity today, especially American Christianity, we like to find like life verses, verses that describe our life. For many of us, this should be our life verse. Really, if we're honest. There's a good thing that I want to do, but what I find myself doing is the things that I don't want to do. 
And, and then when, when I do that, I actually, I actually hate myself for doing it. And the thing that's going on in here is not just simple tension, it's sin. The Apostle Paul is showing us clearly that there is a choice that comes in the immediacy of right now. That there's something that we ultimately want, but then there's something that we want right now. And that far too often what happens is we choose what we want right now. I want a good marriage, but it's so easy to get angry when things don't go my way. I want to be healthy financially, but those shoes were on sale. I want something ultimately, but there's this tension because I keep doing what is natural, not what is supernatural. See, he shows us that the tension isn't just this is good and this is bad. It's no, this is sin. When you choose to get angry, that's sin. When you choose to overindulge, that's sin. When you choose what you want right now over what you ultimately want, that's sin. Now, what if I were to tell you today that they found archaeologists digging around the Mediterranean found a letter written by the brother of Jesus. It's been verified. It's been studied. They know that it is for sure the brother of Jesus and that he's written this letter. It contains a, a, a lot of perspective and insight into the character and the nature of the life that God wants to live and it's going to be released this week, you'll be able to read it. How many of y'all would be excited about that? How many of y'all know that that book is already in the Bible? It's called James. The book of James is written by Jesus' brother. And he doesn't open the book. So interesting. He doesn't open the book by saying, hey, I, I want to talk to you about my brother. I grew up with him. I know all about him. He doesn't even open the book by saying, this is a guy that I've spent so much time with, I believe in his character. He opens the book by saying, let me talk to you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. i got a sister. She has never called me Lord and Savior, ever. <laughs> ever. There has never been a moment. And some of y'all got brothers and sisters, and you know there ain't ever going to come a day that they're going to call you Lord and Savior. If you need proof that Jesus is who he says he is, look no further than the book of James. Because James talks about Jesus. Because there was a moment that changed everything for James, and that's when Jesus walked out of an empty tomb, and he became Lord and Savior of his life. He became an, an instant leader in the church movement, one of the most significant leaders in the church of Jerusalem. Throughout the book of Acts, he's going to be involved in several important decisions that forever changed the trajectory of the gospel. And in James chapter 1, he wrote this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away 
by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, there's sin again. See, this is what's happening. We're being dragged away to sin, and in sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now leave that up there. Look at that word, dragged away. I want you to pay attention to that. James is saying that in the, in the beginning, we wanted something. And it was something good. But then temptation came along. And in the moment, we were drug away by temptation from the thing that we really want. The word in the Greek, literally the connotation, is that we put up resistance. We fought it. It's 11 o'clock at night. I don't want to eat that ice cream. But I'm going to eat that ice cream. Because I'm hungry. And I like ice cream. And I know I shouldn't. But I'm even going to put some chocolate syrup on it. And some candy. Oh, I need that ice cream. You ever been there before? You ever felt that before? I know, I know that this is not what I should want. But I want it. And I feel like I'm being dragged away from what I ultimately want. But by something that I want right now see from both of those passages we learn this that what you want now often is directly opposed to what you want ultimately what you want right now is often directly opposed to what you want ultimately so let's ask the question what does God want for you what does God want for you? And the problem with that question is that many a time when we go to that question, we don't ask that question. We actually ask the wrong question. The question that we ask is what does God want from me? What does God want from me? And that question is built on kind of a presupposition that is so backwards and wrong. And we don't recognize it. It assumes that God needs something from you. Can I just tell you? God doesn't need anything from you. Everything you own is already His. You need proof? Go to a funeral. I've never seen anybody leave this world with anything. The richest men who have ever lived left behind their wealth to somebody else. Why? Because it wasn't theirs. They were only managing it for a very short time. What good parent positions themselves to need something from their kids? No good parent. Now later on in our life, I'm going to ask my kids to take out the garbage. I'm going to ask my sons to mow the barn. Right? I'm going to ask them to do some things. But can I be just absolutely clear about this that that's for their own good not for me I don't need them to do it I, I took out the trash long before they ever will I'll do it after they leave home I'm only doing that to help them I don't need it from them as a matter of fact there is one thing that God does need from us if we're going to have a right relationship look at this statement the only thing we have to give to God that God needs from us is our sin. That's it. If we're going to live in right relationship with God, the only thing that we have to give God that God needs from us is our sin. 
He doesn't need your money because it's not your money. He doesn't need your time because He owns your time. So what does God want from us? Let's just deal with that question. What does God want from us? Here's what He wants from you. He wants your hate, your sorrow, your fear, your frustration, your meanness, your badness, your faithlessness, your addictions. That's what God wants from you. And the list could go on and on and on and on and on. God wants your sin. So what does God want? for you what does God want for you he answers that question what does God want for us he answers that question in Galatians chapter 5 where he talks about the the different choice that we have to follow our immediate desires or our fleshly desires or our sinful desires depending on which translation you look at and, and, and or our decision to follow the spirit of God in Galatians chapter 5. And in that, he describes what we get out of both of those scenarios. And then he describes, if we choose to follow the Spirit, this is what happens. Beginning in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. I love that he uses this agricultural analogy. If you make this choice, it's as if there are Seeds that are being planted, if you follow, it's as if you are watering and cultivating that this stuff is going to naturally grow in your life. What does God want for you? Right here it is. Here's the list. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What does God want for you? That's what God wants for you. God wants you to experience that. That's what God died on the cross through Jesus Christ to give you a life that's filled with that. And look at what he says after that. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We've put the, the, the immediacy of responding to what I want right now. We've crucified that with its passions and desires, since we have li now live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What was the invitation that Jesus constantly gave? Come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. I don't know about you, but if Jesus came up to me and said, come follow me, I'd ask him, where are we going? <laughs> where are we going, Jesus? <laughs> I'll follow you. I just want to know where we're going. I mean, just, you know, I'm, like, I'm the kind of person that I'll jump into the pool, but I want to know how deep it is. All right? Is this the shallow end or is this the deep end? Jesus, where are we going? And it's as if in this passage, the Apostle Paul is saying, when Jesus says, come follow me, he's telling us where we're going. Come follow me. Well, Jesus, where are we going to go? Well, here's where we're going. We're going to go to love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control, that's where we're headed. You want to follow me? That's where we're going. That's why the question, what you want, is so important. Because the answer to the question, what do you want, every day becomes the way that you live your life. 
And day after day, answering that question, answering that question, answering that question, the way that you live, the way that you live, day after day, it becomes the legacy that you're building in your life. And here's the problem. None of us stop to think about that real question, what do I want? Most of the time what we're thinking about is what do I want right now? What do I want right now? But see, when we stop to think about what we ultimately want, it'll change the behavior that we have in the moment. Because it'll get us focused on living with the end in mind. There's going to come a day when somebody is going to get up and speak at your funeral. It's probably going to be a family member, probably a friend, maybe somebody you knew at work. What do you want them to say? What do you want them to say about you? What's the story that you want to tell? What's the story you want people to tell about you? Because your answer to the question, what do I want, becomes the legacy that you leave behind. What's the story that you want people to tell about you? And don't say, don't say, I don't care what people say about me. Because even Jesus cared what people said about him. Do you remember? He asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Oh, some say that you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. No, that's not who I am. Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's right. That's right, Peter. God has revealed that. Now go tell everybody so that they can get it right. See, God cares about people and it's impossible to care about God and not care about people. So what story do you want people to tell about your life? What story do you want people? Because people will say good things, bad things, or nothing about you when you're gone. When you leave the job that you're working right now, people will say good things, bad things, or nothing. If you're a student, when you leave high school, people will say good things, bad things, or nothing. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? What is the story that you want people to say about you? Because it's all connected to that question. So let me just ask you this. What do you really what do you really want? What do you really want? What is it that you ultimately want in life that maybe you've been sacrificing for what you want right now? Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.